<laughs> I'm Katty Dio. I'm Tefra Jenny. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. week we're continuing our sequels month uh, apologies for the missed episode that just happens from time to time today i think we're well today we are covering everlasting rose by danielle clayton which is the sequel to the bells by danielle clayton which we covered pretty much exactly a year ago i've been getting the like instagram archive reviews of like and it's like all the books we're sequeling we did exactly a year ago, which is super fun. That's so neat. Yeah. I love that you said that um, the same author wrote both books. I would love <laughs> to see a series written by several people. Mm-hmm. That could be a nice challenge. I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Come on, authors. Yeah. Get on it. Uh, we also just learned today that Montreal is going into quarantine in the face of a global pandemic. And we're both, um, you know, feeling some kind of way in response to that and so this episode might be touched by you know bleakness and panic uh apologies i i'm sure you're all also feeling a certain amount of bleakness and panic given that this is a global pandemic if you're not maybe um you know you should be i don't know <laughs> <laughs> check in with yourself i'm just gonna say real quick because i think everybody needs to hear this that uh like managing the virus is not about protecting yourself necessarily because if you are a healthy young person um COVID-19 will not be a terrible viral infection for you but managing the virus by washing your hands regularly by social isolation by being respectful of where you put your body fluids uh is about protecting immunocompromised elderly and otherwise sick people um be sure that you don't make yourself a vector just because you're going, I don't mind if I get a flu. Make sure that you're, you know, doing your part to halt the spread of this because if we look back on this and think, wow, that was an overreaction, that means we've done our public health job. That's right. I like that you um, gave that little intro to everyone. I think we need to be thinking about these things and we need to think about what this does to our communities hopefully it makes people listen to more podcasts absolutely this is a way i mean i do think that podcasts are a really great way of managing social isolation for people who really like to see other people and talk to other people um, especially like conversational podcasts agreed um so let us converse <laughs> let us converse um so the story of everlasting rose uh, picks up right where the bells uh trails off um so we've got camellia i'm gonna say camilla a bunch of times i'm just giving a little heads up um escaping with adel and remy um and uh, they're looking for princess charlotte so that they can kill her <laughs> yeah that's to kill her or restore her throne? No, restore her throne. Yeah. Um, Sophia um, wants to Yeah, kill that's her. it. It's a bit like, really, Charlotte, Sophia? These are names that like get really easily confused. Yeah. If, I'm, yeah. I must say, I think Sophia is one of the strongest points of this book, of this series. 100%. I think Sophia is an excellent, excellent villain. Yes. Um, not to just jump right into like character analysis of the antagonist, but I really think she is... 
an excellent villain. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I like the, uh, I really like the the image of this like really poised and badass evil person um and this might actually be one of those series where you know like you identify a bit more with the evil person Mm. than like the villain and it's not i I don't have any negative feelings towards uh the 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 kind characters but there's something there's something sexy about about sophia yeah yeah sexy and dangerous Mm -hmm. kind of like it she's like a she's like a natalie dormer character Ooh, natalie dormer made famous by one game of thrones but also something else in which she had half her head shaved off and i just like that's a that's hunger games yeah thank you i just wanted to lick her face uh amen i mean she was i will say that uh i i believe that natalie dormer was famous before game of thrones because she played anne boleyn on the tutors uh way back when i was in high school and that was um a thing that was an awakening mm. yeah shall we say so i think th- we have not done this in a really long time and i'm really excited to say it folks natalie dormer can get it can get it she can get it she can get it get it get it um cool so um i hadn't read the bells previously to uh before reading this one i kind of skimmed it just to check it out and sort of see uh what uh, you know, what what sparked my interest and all that. And I really like the premise of uh, beauty taking up so much space in a society. I find it wonderful. It's a great social critique. You can take it a bunch of different ways. Um, and uh, yeah, reading through this one, I, I guess I enjoyed it. Like I just, I, I didn't see anything bad about this book. Like it was fun. Um, it's a good adventure book. Uh, strong female characters. There's some queerness. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's good stuff. Um, I do want to touch on one element that I particularly liked before we we start talking about like dystopia and how we're actually living in it. Um, <laughs> is uh, the importance of uh, so uh, Camellia and crew are aided by an underground group of uh, Utes. Um, called the Iron Ladies, which I think is really neat because it's a group of um, people who reject these standards of beauty. So who are who are sort of embracing um, who they are as they are. And I found that that was a really cool way of bringing things about. Like it is an undercurrent to be able to turn around and say like, actually I'm, I'm fully satisfied with who I am. Like I don't hate myself. Right. Like in, in uh, the, 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 the fat acceptance movement and I, I don't want to talk about body positivity, but like, you know, in all these movements where we're simply saying like the status quo is okay um, with regards to our bodies, like, there is this revolutionary part to it, right? We are kind of like fighting diet culture, fighting uh, this very like stereotyped image of what a person should look like and all that. And I think that um, that was a really great way of so weaving that into that story without getting preachy. Because mm-hmm. like we can fall into that quite quickly, uh, you know. Both you and I are people who talk a lot about about uh, body image, yeah. and we talk about um, beauty, and we look at beauty in a way that is, you know, ours. And 
it doesn't fall into this like, well, you know, what you really should be thinking is blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's we're fierce. We're fighting. We're, we're changing the world by being ourselves and by being okay with that. Um, yeah. I think there's a real parallel to be drawn between the Iron Ladies and Fat Liberation um, because there's a similar thing where with the Iron Ladies being greedy has been categorized as an illness, as something that is bad for you. And I know all through the bells, I was thinking, something's not right here. Something's off because they're never telling us what exactly it is about being greedy that's bad for you. Yes. It's just that it's ugly or considered ugly. And that is such a parallel with the so-called obesity epidemic. Oh, God. Which is... so problematic <laughs> so problematic just if just if this is news to you like honestly you can dm me on twitter and i will give you all of the facts the obesity epidemic is not a thing it is hyperbolized language to make people scared of fat bodies just the way the gree is a hyperbolized term to make people afraid of not receiving these beauty treatments mm. and it really is uh, a very well done, subtly done parallel. Um, and the other thing I like is that the Iron Ladies, there's there's the sense that this organization has been around for a long time. Yes. And Fat Liberation has been around at least since the sexual revolution. Heck yeah. But like also ancient. Mm. Um, and And I think a lot of the time people see you know, hashtags and social media campaigns and are like, oh, this is some new thing. No, mm-mm. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a there's a lovely Instagram account uh, that I love called uh, Historical Fat People. Yes, and it's just pictures of fat people Historical at fat different people. times in history, and it's kind of lovely because they're doing things like hanging out with friends or <laughs> eating dinner. <laughs> well, and it's important because a big part of the anti-fat movement, the fat eradication movement, mm. is saying fatness is new. Uh, and so having, I just discovered that Instagram account. I think probably <laughs> through something you shared, I don't know. Uh, so having access to historical images, historical photographs especially. Yeah. That are just like, no, they, people existed. It, yeah, it forces yeah. us to witness the fact that, Precisely. you know, we are not innovating. Who <laughs> <laughs> my in- innovative fat body yes. oh. look what i've discovered oh i'm gonna walk around calling my body an innovative fat body i think that's gonna make people uncomfortable and i'm here for it so yes the iron ladies is a really nice spin on yeah. on body acceptance and um and it's good and yeah. i like the idea that these i think we well, no, I'm starting to say this isn't something I feel like I see too much, but that's not true. I feel like every dystopian novel has the uh, has the revolutionaries discovering the yes. old organization. Yes. But I like that. I always like that. When you have the first book is them just kind of striking off on their own, and then the second one you find out that there's a whole movement, uh, which happens in like Hunger Games when Katniss finds District 13. Yep. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm taking a beat. I'm Who can get it? Who <laughs> can get it? <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is Katniss Everdeen all day, every day. I didn't like her casting as Katniss Everdeen, but I love her, mm. which is a tension that I live with. I disagree. I think yeah. she was a great casting, but that's just me. Yeah, um, that's, that's okay. I would love to hear your 
opinions on it sometime when we're not supposed to be talking about a different book. Yes. Um, and this is us bringing it back to The Everlasting Rose by Danielle Clayton. Which is a book I enjoyed a lot. And yeah. a series I enjoyed a lot. I What I love about these books is that they're really, really, very Libra books. Please explain that to my little Aries brain. Please. I will. I will. Uh, Bailey and I were talking about this because Bailey is Bailey's like major triad of like sun, sun sign, moon sign, and rising sign is all Libra. So Bailey is like the most Libra person, and my moon and rising sign are Libra, and my sun is Pisces. So a little word to our non-queer listeners: um, all of these things is important. <laughs> like oh did we just become the queerest podcast ever i'll yeah, take it I'll i will think take it. so um this is how queers find each other um either through astrology or tarot cards yeah. it's like our little way of feeling like we've got something special that the straights and sisses can't take away from us um but they already have whatever look, we're look still me up on it. co-star Listen, Baby. oh, we're going to have to, yeah, we'll have to share a co-star. My best friend and I say that the, the Pisces-est thing about our relationship, because our birthdays are two par- days apart, is that we just send each other co-star uh, screenshots back and forth eternally. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. So, so anyway, how is Libras. This? Yes. Libras, very aesthetic. <laughs> the aesthetic is is all important. <clears throat> and people talk a lot about Libras wanting balance because it's the scales. You know, it's a it's a characteristic but my personal take on this is that the driving force in a libra is the aesthetic and the 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 uh search for balance is actually about maintaining that aesthetic because discord is not aesthetic necessarily um i mean it can be you know you can do pattern clashing or whatever but that's the thing it all has to be done tastefully uh libras are in that sense complete control freaks because (laughs) we want everything to be a certain way i think libras are the low-key control freaks of the um of the horoscope because of the zodiac there we go there's the word Everybody thinks of Virgos as the control freaks of the Zodiac, and they are, I say lovingly, as someone with a Virgo partner. Um, but Libras are like, they're like going to con- try to control you, but they don't want you to know because it's not aesthetic to be controlling. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very, it's it's like a low-key manipulation. I'm here for this, yeah. But it's very much about like, I would like everything in my life to be pleasant. I do not want you to make my life unpleasant. If we disagree about something, it's going to be unpleasant. Mm. So I'm going to do my best to act like we're agreeing, even when we're disagreeing, because I can't handle being disagreeing. This is so foreign to an Aries, right? I see your face just being like, avoiding conflict? <laughs> I like yelling. Yeah. So, so to I mean, for me, the Bells is, is a world run by Libras. <laughs> this, is, this is a Libras dystopia. I love this analysis. <laughs> I am here for it. There are little cakes. There are tiny animals. And like, oh man, I have this whole analysis about the teacup pets because like breeding teacup animals is one of the worst things humans have done to the world. <laughs> Daddy's making a face like, I, I, I don't know. There's also climate the change. And <laughs> we keep killing people for absolutely yes. no reason because they're you know shade of skin or but yes teacup yes, animals to, to 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 animals i feel like it's one of the kind of like 
because like we're not like we've genetically modified chickens to have more meat on them when we genetically modify teacup animals it is literally just because we like to look at them yes (laughs) Um, (laughs) yes they're so cute uh and they die so young. Yes, that's true. That is true. And they have so many health problems. Sure. Um, but they are so small. S-M-O-L. <laughs> well, they are. That's it. So we we design teacup animals so that we can have puppies that never grow up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then they can't breathe properly. <laughs> Um, so I do think that the teacup animals is kind of a stroke of genius uh, in that respect. There's yeah. teacup dragons and teacup elephants. and I liked I like reading <sighs> that. Like, I think that I find that this book really does straddle the line between fantasy and uh, sci-fi really well. So well. Like, seriously, yeah. so fun. Like, I am not that much of a sci-fi connoisseur, um, but I do dig a good fantasy yeah. book. And this made me go like, oh, cool. Okay, I can get into some sci-fi somewhere. Like, there's there's enough just justified by, by, by science or by the evolution of mankind or whatever um, that... Yeah, that makes us fun. Like, yeah. you're just kind of like, I want to see this. I would like to see, actually, this series be turned into a good TV show. Because this yeah. could also be disastrous if they don't do it well. Um, but I think that, like, something of the HBO variety, or even, like, if they lean into the cheese, yeah. um, like, a good CW series, this could work well. There's a there's a touch even of, like, steampunk cyberpunk there, mm. but not enough to make it obnoxious. Yes. You know, there's, like, steampunk that's cool, and then there's steampunk that's, like, a creepy guy with a bunch of gears hot glued to his hat. Yes. Um, and this does, this falls on the good side. Yes. Um, so, uh, powers that be, please, uh, chop chop. Yeah. Let's get this uh, who, on television. Who would you cast? Ooh. This is that game we play. Okay. Who would I cast? So, for, um, well, I mean, look, for Camille, I, d- I debate between Camille and uh, Camellia. Camellia. See, told you. Okay. Um, and uh, Princess Charlotte. Like, right. I'd like to see a Zendaya. I was thinking Zendaya for Camellia, though, specifically. Like, yeah. Because she's, she's badass. Like, yeah. she doesn't give off too much of badass. And then you see her in something like Euphoria, and you're like, mm, this, like, yeah. she's got it. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm trying to think for um for Charlotte I honestly see like a young Gabriel Union. Gabrielle Union, what Gabriel yeah. Gabriel Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. But she is too old now, I think. She is. Because Charlotte is like in her late teens. But who is the current going there's probably somebody in like Riverdale, which is a show I don't watch. Uh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, the girl who plays Josie from Josie yeah. and the Pussycats on Riverdale. Okay. She could be actually uh, an interesting uh, Charlotte. Oh, yeah. For, um, sorry, I'm like desperately going through my Rolodex of actors of color. Um, <laughs> because the joy, oh, yes, the joy of uh, the series is that beauty is not synonymous with whiteness. Um, and that's really freaking different mm-hmm. and it's kind of a mindfuck because people change their appearance so much that like it is hard to keep track of 
race at all. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. You know who would also be really fun in this? Uh, actually, even for Camellia could be fun. Um, is the actress who plays Laura Jean in P.S. Uh, yeah. And to all the boys I've loved before. Yeah. That could be really fun. Yeah, Lana. Um, Her. Her last name. It's something very close to Laura Jean uh, Covey. Mm-hmm. It's Lana. And I feel like it's even like something with a C. And I feel bad that I always forget her name. But yes. And then uh, Condor. Oh, there you go. Okay, so <laughs> I had a, the, uh, an interesting thought. Um, I've been watching a lot of Sex Education recently because I love that series and I want to watch it all the time. Ola, are we going to talk about? Because I want that actor act, actor in everything. Yes. yes, yes. Ola would be just so good in this, and like, there's a part of me that would like to see her be evil. I want to see her as Sophia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd yeah. be pretty great. Or Eric and Drag. Eric from Sex Education, the most beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful of actors, who has made me laugh and. Uh, had I seen this show younger oh yeah it's real good Um, this character makes me want to reclaim my Africanness you know like there's something so proud and dignified about him that like I don't know there's a scene where he shows up at a dance wearing like a suit made out of bold African print and he's got like a beautiful gele which is like a Nigerian head wrap situation going and like oh I died a thousand deaths like, I was just so in love with that image. Um, so I would like to see him in drag, actually. As Sophia. <laughs> As Sophia. But I can get I think, behind that. I think he's too kind and sweet and has the best smile in the world. But it could work as an evil I smile. I mean, he could do Remy if mm. we wanted to straight wash him. Mm-mm. Huh. Um, I think for Remy, I was actually thinking, this is turning into quickly a very light skin situation, but that's because a lot of the new young actors that are coming out are very um, light in mm. terms of melanin. Um, it's but- almost like there's a bias in Hollywood. No. <laughs> Dear God, no. Um, a Daniel Kaluuya would be great. Like, uh, he was in Black Panther. He was in... Um, Lena Waithe's new movie, Slim and Not Shady, because I think I've made that joke one too many times. And <laughs> Queen and Slim. Whew. Oh, yeah, he's pretty. He's handsome. Oh, he was also in Get Out. <laughs> yeah, that's where I know him from. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, no, because I, because, <laughs> yeah, because Remy is very uh, uh, explicitly dark skinned. Yeah. And if they light washed him. <laughs> Love it, yes. <laughs> I would be disappointed. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Daniel Kaluuya is like, oh, he's got like just this like intensity. He can also yeah. get it. Like he's uh. just, he's also so thick and like just like yeah. massive and like, like but the- also sweet. Like yeah. he's very cheesy in interviews. He's very silly and cute. Yeah. I like, like him thick and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but if we want to queer I feel up. Gross. No, it's cool. If we want to queer up Remy, then a John Boyega from uh, yeah. from from Star Wars. Uh, I mean, John Boyega can do anything as far as I'm concerned. Yes. But I just want John Boyega to play every gay character ever. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's gay. I hope, like, I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this. But, like, he gives such good, um, like, 
soft gazing eyes at mm. Poe Dameron in all the Star Wars movies. I know we're not talking about Star Wars, and I honestly have not seen all of the Poe and uh, Finn. Finn Star Wars yet, but um, I love how pissed both of them have been oh. about how queer baited they got. Because usually we just see audience responding to queer baiting and both actors have been like, no, we just we got queer baited through this entire series. This is nonsense. It's about like 40 percent of why I watched them Um, because, oh, I just wanted to see them make out. And I also wanted to uh, sit on Adam Driver's face while watching those movies. But I don't get Adam Driver. (sighs) To me, he looks like one of those weird dogs. (laughs) <laughs> i mean you know the the white dogs with the big bald faces yep i yeah. think so but no i think there's something i think he's just so um uh strong um yeah. you know I, I i i tend to like my more femme people on the more rugged butchy side right. of things and i tend to um like my men just very tall and maybe a bit more feminine (laughs) i like i like i know you followed it up but i really like the comparison of like i like my people on the feminine side more like rugged and butchy and i like my dudes tall (laughs) (laughs) just tall and like just tall and and a bit like just softly feminine and because adam driver is such a like you know big like ex-military or ex-marines or whichever um kind of guy and but but there is a softness to this guy like like when i see him in like interviews or even in movies like i'm like there's like i could put him in some fishnet stockings like and like he would look good he would look really good so like tom holland doing rihanna yes yeah yes You've seen. You've I seen. have. You and have. I forgot about it. Yes. Uh, good man in fish de- in fishnets. <laughs> do we do we think Lupita Nyong'o is old enough to play the queen yet? Yes. Good. I want her playing the queen. Ooh. The lesbian queen. Yeah. That's the okay. The other thing I love about this universe so much is that the way it works in the royal families is you marry a straight partner for like the moving along of the line but it is assumed that you will have a lover and and marriage is very distinctly not necessarily a romantic relationship it is expected that you will have romantic relationships outside of it and so the queen has her longtime lesbian mistress who everybody knows about everybody knows the queen is gay it's totally fine and the king also had his uh, lover, who was a woman. So, yeah. like, not everybody's gay. But, like, I really like that. Because that's also, like, traditionally how marriage has worked in the world. 100%. Um, so it was really nice to see that. And as it's evolved, right? Yeah. It's, now it's more permissive to experiment yeah. for marriage. But once you're married, that's it. Yeah. Um, no wildness, no nothing. Um, whereas before... Street around silent generation it was much more like it was a given yeah it is you have a partner who you are married to and then you can sow your royal oats i mean especially <laughs> if you look at at like i mean i'm familiar with european history because i got into a phase for a while but like very very common for for royals to have lovers mm-hmm. you just made sure you didn't like have a bastard baby if you were the queen basically yep. and everything else was good 
Yep, because it's always harder when you're a chick. Well, yes. <laughs> the men could have all sorts of <laughs> bastard yes. babies. Yes. And crown them if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I, it's a well thought out, a well developed universe. Mm. Um, really, really, really thoughtful. And I always appreciate that with yeah. a fantasy world. Absolutely. It's really um, fun and dystopian. And um, I actually have a dystopia question for you. Yes. How do you feel about um, reading dystopian novels in a time that feels more and more dystopian? Uh, so I have a little Yeah! podcast story about that, Love which it. is that in the early days of the Yeah! podcast, uh, one of our Indiegogo requests is Station Eleven which is a dystopian book. It's not a young adult book, but it was really popular among teenagers at that time. Um, And I hated it. I, in fact, was so vehemently angry at this book on the podcast that the person who had given it to us messaged us and was just like, wow, I really liked this book. okay, this isn't what I expected from this episode. And I had to be like, I'm sorry. It just like really bummed me out. So with a dystopia and like as I have grown and had some distance from the book, it's a very good dystopia. It's very well written. It was way too close to home. Mm. It hit way too close to home. And it made me scared and I didn't like reading it. When I read something dystopian that is also enough fantasy that I can do the um, philosophy of it without being frightened for my children's lives um, it's totally different so when I read something like like I've been thinking so much about uh, Scott Westerfeld's Ugly series recently which is a dystopia that feels uh, achievable that's a weird word to use for it but it feels achievable it's a sort of post uh, ecological disaster um, dystopia and that's one I've been thinking about a lot recently in this current particular clusterfuck of events that's happening in in 2020 uh, <laughs> we're only three months in <laughs> I feel that way about um I feel I feel very similarly to you and yeah. uh, feel I feel that way about Margaret Atwood right now um, I don't uh, I don't read Margaret Atwood. So good, though. I, I read some Margaret Atwood as a teenager, and it scared me off, and I should at some point yeah. challenge that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's very close. Very, very close to home. Um, and it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. It also makes me feel very powerless, I find. Um, dystopian novels are kind of... They just make me feel like, well, I guess this is what we should, this is what we get. (laughs) This is what we're owed. Damn it. Um, Yeah. I will say Station Eleven has kind of put like COVID-19 in perspective for me because it's the difference between a viral pandemic that's like kind of a like casual pandemic, like a manageable pandemic and one that's just like killing people in 48 hours. Yeah. And it's sort of like, okay, I don't think this is the one that's going to get us all. It's just the one that's going to get us thinking. Well, yeah, uh, it's going to turn a lot of people into preppers. Um, but I think that, you know, being ready to a certain extent is OK. Uh, I also think that, you know, making sure that 
the most vulnerable in the population yeah. are taken care of, um, i.e., please stop buying masks if you are not immunocompromised. <sighs> please, please make sure that people who are immunocompromised have access to Purell and all those fun things. If you have running water in your house, you don't need to stockpile Purell. No, yeah. I, yeah. I just... <sighs> and there are people who don't have running water because they don't have houses and they need Purell. Yeah. 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 Are people in faraway uh, reservations who yeah. are stuck without water and to whom I would love to ship Purell yeah. um, because those are communities that are going to get hit hard when they do get hit yeah. and that's going to suck. Um, and so we just brought the mood down into dystopia. I did want to say very briefly, though, it probably won't be brief. Nothing I ever say is brief. Um <laughs> I was chatting with my classmates yesterday after we had this depressing conversation with our uh, prof. And um, we were talking about just the ways that we cope. Because I think for a lot of us, like I mean, like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, most of us are not greatly at risk of dying by this virus. Most of us know people who are greatly at risk of dying Heck yes. by this virus. Like currently my, my grandmother's uh, nursing home in Seattle has it and they're just all in quarantine in their rooms kind of waiting to find out who has it <laughs> um but oh yeah but we are saying just the the anxiety we have isn't so much about the virus itself it's about things are different most of us have not been quarantined before and i shared actually a really good thread by somebody who has been quarantined before who was kind of giving the facts of it um which is a great thread it's michelle elman she's a very cool person um but you're just talking about the different ways that you do find your ways to cope with the future. And for me, I'm not exactly a prepper. Like I don't I don't have like stacks of canned goods in my basement because I don't have money to stash canned goods in my basement. I probably will when I have the money for it, honestly. Um, but I know edible plants in the area. And that's my thing is like, I feel like, okay, if we don't have food supply, and it's summer and not winter, um, I'll be able to like keep us at least having enough greens to not get scurvy and we can trap some pigeons or something. And it's like, okay. Um, and that's like, that's how I cope. I don't know with great confidence. I have never hunted a pigeon. I can't say with great confidence that I will be able to actually do that mm. when the time comes. But for me, that's what gives me peace is knowing a certain number of edible plants that are readily available in the area that I can walk to that I can feed my family um yeah I think food is is a big thing yeah um because food is also comfort and I think that when we look at like the mass hysteria and everyone like just emptying all the grocery stores and stuff like that that's what it really uh brings to me is this idea that people need to have comfort as long as that's possible and a lot of ways that that's going to come through is going to be through food um and i mean i come from a family where like you know we have some political turmoil in our familial past and, and, you know, my mother may or may not have been jailed for quite some time and stuff like that. So, you know, I hear her stories and kind of go like, OK, well, I know that the impact on me is going to be minimal. Right. And now to me, it's just like a question of how can I how can I help? I am not yeah. a uh, biomedical person. Um, you know, I can 
put a Band-Aid like no one's business. But um, what really matters to me right now is this idea of community and how people can come together and support each other and probably going to be doing a lot of like sharing of podcasts over uh, the next couple of weeks. And, you know, like, hey, if anyone needs a hand with this or that or because morale is something that like I just I feel like if I don't if I don't contribute to that, I'm going to be the first to fall deep in the pits of despair and just be like, uh, all is lost. And I don't want to go there. Yeah. I can't. I, it doesn't make sense to me right now. I think like, uh, hey, this is actually a very good sign of my mental health doing well. Um, but uh, <laughs> I just, I, sorry, little breakthrough. No. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I don't want to get there. So right now, yeah, I'm just trying to find like different ways where I can support people around me because that's going to be a big marker also of uh, how I'm doing. Yeah, I was I was going to say actually just when you brought up mental health, um what I've been realizing it was kind of a realization when I read Station 11, but also I've been realizing is like I've had a shift in my mental health at some point in the last 10 years from well, if the world ends okay to like I I actually have things I want to protect in my life and I care about my own life and I care about the people around me. And that's a nice shift mentally. Yes. That's a real nice shift. Yeah. Um, I get so anxious about living in the city. Mm. Like if we're doing like prepper confessions, I always feel like I feel like if I was not in the city, I would just be like, we're, we'll be fine. I know how to like do this. I know how to take care of us because I grew up back to the land and and we like when the ice storm of 98 came we were okay we had our wood stove we brought our neighbors into our house like we were okay um and so when I'm like but here I don't have a wood stove and I like don't know how to like I can't gather icicles because the icicles here are dirty and I don't know how to like provide in these parameters that was a tangent from what I was actually saying which is I think a nice thing to do now would be to talk about some of the media that we turn to in our times of need. Because the internet isn't going anywhere, despite something my prof said <laughs> offhandedly during class that made us all lose our minds. <laughs> the internet isn't going anywhere. And we have this like singularly special thing where like when we're in our house, we have this like wide library of different kinds of media that we can turn to, like podcasts and music and TV shows. I have been watching Rewatching because I watched it before. Monty Don's Big Dreams, Small Spaces on Netflix. <laughs> I also shared this with my mother, who is uh, isolated and really feeling it because she's housebound already, and yeah. now she can't really get visits. Um, and it's a gardening show where Monty Don, who is England's head gardener, he's the best. I love him. I aspire to be him. <laughs> I just love him. Um, and you know, he like. For him, he had really severe depression and gardening was his way out of it. And so helping people create their gardens is really important to him. And uh, and he was part of the inspiration I've had for just making gardening happen, even though I have a very tiny amount of space to do it in. Same. Um, and it's just he there's there, you know, some episodes, of course, are better than others. There are ones where he's helping people who... Uh, are grieving or um, who have new life circumstances they're coping with or uh, the one I really really love is a little girl who has chronic fatigue syndrome which is what my mom has and so I sent her that one and said you know that's awesome this is her her seafood's garden (laughs) Um, and that's what I've been watching and it just I think it's helpful to take care of something yeah absolutely I think it really helps to take care of something when you're feeling 
out of control we've been growing some little plants on on my kids windowsill like that's fun yeah I am okay confession time Mm -hmm. I am going to be re-watching RuPaul's Drag Race excluding season seven okay season two and season one because they're not the best that's it (laughs) this is basically all i do now is just watch rupaul's drag race it's the queer content i'm here for the queens are shady and it's funny and um i love trying to do my own makeup while i watch rupaul's drag race and like i haven't done it in a bit but I love that. But yeah, um, I'm learning makeup and have been for about a year and it's, you know, interesting. But uh, I like the idea of being able to watch drag queens because their makeup is so out there and bold and unafraid and like it owns itself that I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, let me try a bold eye color and I just wear it at home and then I take it off and that's it. Um, So lots of RuPaul's Drag Race, not gonna lie, every single musical that is on any watching platform also will be imbibed by me because Mm -hmm. I just love a musical. We're uh, in the vein of musicals. I feel The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is something people told me to watch for a long time and I am watching with Tom and we are enjoying quite a bit. It's a nice escape from reality it's extremely well written it's so funny uh and it's so pretty nice so that's a good one if you're into a fictional funny one and maybe i'll give riverdale a chance again <laughs> maybe. i keep trying maybe it's just not working for me well when it turned into jumanji i sort of stopped i was like it's too much it's too much. I kept expecting like a like well, no longer Robin Williams, uh, but like The Rock running out and being chased by a tiger or something. Like it just turned into something so ridiculous. But at the same time, I love how much it owns that it is cheesy and tacky, and that's all right. I think I watched like two episodes. I mean, and it's not I, I don't good. know. It just wasn't my thing. Like I like bad television, yeah, and I like cheesy over the top stuff, yeah. Um, like I love Buffy, which is kind right. of similarly weird and over the top. Yes. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I just couldn't get into it somehow. This last point, um, I'm like, you know what Canada needs? We need an access to the Golden Girls from start to finish. Someone put that on a TV platform, please. Mm-hmm. This is prime time to help the young folks of the world discover the Golden Girls, discover the importance of these ladies and how they already got it, even if it was 30 years ago. I have never watched the Golden Girls. Oh, it's and I'm so missing it. Yeah. It's so good. Golden I, Girls, little 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 cannabis little snickety snack situation everybody's been stocking up on cannabis and i just like yes i because i was pregnant when cannabis became legal uh i have not figured out purchasing cannabis despite it being legal and there being a store very near to our house i just have not yet like done the thing you Mm. know yeah Mm. um i will also say one of the things that i've been appreciating a lot this year is um documentaries by and about indigenous people because indigenous people uh are 
not doing horrible things that are enacting climate change. And um, that's nice to see, even though those documentaries end up being depressing because uh, capitalism and colonialism. But um, one I, I really want to finish because I watched half of it in classes, Angry Inuk. And there's also a really good one that the name is escaping me about um, Winona LaDuke Duke and wild rice growing in Upper Michigan and pipelines. And that's been encouraging for me because it is encouraging for me to see people doing the right thing. Um, even if there's a lot of people doing the wrong thing around it, it's really encouraging for me to see people doing the right thing. It's really encouraging for me to see, to, to have indigenous people being visible and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's really been, I think this year has been kind of a resurgence for me of the immediate urgency of protecting and upholding indigenous rights because indigenous people are the ones who will save the world um or or have the knowledge to save the world because they've preserved the old knowledge that a lot of us have lost and i love that yeah i just yeah it's important on that note (sighs) folks the everlasting rose by danielle clayton it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's maybe, good. Maybe read it in the two weeks that you're quarantined in your house. <laughs> Definitely a good uh, one. And the bells. Yeah. It's a good time for fantasy, I think. It's a good time for the fantasy series, if you have a lot of time on your hands. Um, speaking of fantasy series, we've got a couple more really well-developed fantasy worlds coming up. So stay posted. <laughs> stay tuned. Let's wrap this and, up. And, uh, you know, wash your hands. Stay healthy. <laughs> Stop hoarding toilet paper. Um, Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyeahpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theyeahpodcast, and individually, I'm at Teverbear. I'm at caddy double underscore D. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Resch, Erica Stutchbury, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenho, Chantal Thomas, and Matt Dever. We also have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at TeePublic. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend, perhaps a friend who doesn't feel represented enough in books or pop culture. Special thanks to Great Bear. (laughs) We're struggling through this. I I, I just keep losing my place. I'm getting old. At a birthday. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. They are, incidentally, um, um, just lovely rural queers who have been doing music forever. Great Bear no longer plays together, um, but they individually have their music projects and they're great. Sweet. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian. That's you. And edited by Tom Zalatni. Hi, Tom. As part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I said network so many times. Network, 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 network. And the network appears behind you in the mirror. Bye. (laughs) 
Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gays in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.